Hey, he's Jake, and I'm Matt. And welcome to Pat's Chat, the UK's best New England Patriots podcast. guys how's it going and welcome to another episode of Pat's Chat. It is myself Matt, I am not joined by Jake because as I explained on the last episode he is super super busy but as always where possible I try and get an awesome guest for you guys and this is an awesome guest. For me he is just something else um i must admit he's some someone that's part of the pats pulpit team of sb nation is keegan stiefel how's it going keegan it's going well we're right in the swing of things in terms of draft season and we just got over kind of free agency a little bit so right in the yeah exactly and that's exactly why i've got you on as i explained in our dms when we've been communicating is the the draft um mainly because the work that you and spags have put in especially on in, in this document is unbelievable the threads that you guys put together is almost second to none and your fellow cohort that has now moved on to maybe you would say bigger and better things. I don't know, Evan uh, Lazar, he's also one of the ones that does the the threads like you guys. And for me, and uh, me and Pat spoke about it a few weeks ago when he was on that, you know, for myself and him and others like us, it is so invaluable this time of year because myself personally, and I know Pat was the same, you know, we've got family, we've got other commitments and then we get someone like yourself and just go right if I've got half an hour or whatever I can sit down with the document that we'll get into in a second um, or just go through your threads and go right who's this running back that you want to um, champion or the linebacker or whatever it might be Um, yeah it's just awesome man and so thank you very much for for doing that for everyone (laughs) yeah I did it's you know for me it's fun I really enjoy doing it I um, it's kind of an escape um, I'm a I'm a younger guy. I don't have a family or anything like that yet. But um, you know, with school and work, I need something to escape, and that's kind of been my, you know, uh, planning went into it, and then just kind of keeping up with it and stuff as the off seasons unfolded. It's been really fun. It's been it's given us something to do. Kept our plates pretty full. Cool, man. Sweet. Well, we'll get into that in just a minute, as I say. But first of all, um, a little bit, a little bit about yourself what you mentioned school there your um university of massachusetts um you're going to is it um journalism you're studying isn't it now i am going through my first semester as a senior so i'll be graduating here in the fall pretty soon um and you know i think all of us can uh, relate to each other that we're all big sports fans and that's always been my thing growing up you know not into really anything else. I just, I love sports, you know, whether it be football, baseball, basketball, hockey, I follow it all. Um, But football, my attention, it's always been focuses lie as a young, I already am, you know, back in school and college, I really liked learning from guys like you mentioned, Evan Lazar, who was doing what I'm kind of doing back a few years ago. And, um, just not only trying to inform other people, but trying to learn themselves and gather as much information about the game as possible. So that's what I like to do. I, I really enjoy the X's and O's part of football and the team building aspect, kind of everything that you see off of the field or the minute details on the field. I love all that stuff. Yeah. And um, I was having a, a little dig around earlier and uh, Mike Reese is a, an alumni of University of Massachusetts as well so you're in some esteemed company going there was that one of the reasons that you looked into there or was it you always kind of wanted to stay close to home or right before high school I grew up in Massachusetts most of Massachusetts um, and then right before high school I moved to Texas which is a pretty big move you know in the United States about 
about 1800 miles away, um, halfway across the country, you know, all the way from the North to the South, big, big culture change. Um, went through all through of high school in Texas. I did my first two years of college in Texas and then kind of made the decision that if I wanted to be serious about the Patriots stuff and uh, covering football and kind of following the team that I grew up rooting for, come back and, and go through school here. So I moved back. Once I got out onto my own, I moved back to Massachusetts and started going to the University of Massachusetts. Uh, what really drew me to Mass UMass was um, Tao, who is another Patriots reporter uh, for The Athletic. He was, he was, I think he's one of the best storytellers. Um, on the Patriots beat. And that's something I also enjoy. So I thought he was one of the better guys at that. Um, I knew that he went to the University of Massachusetts. I DM'd him when I was 19. I think right after I turned 19, I DM'd him. Hey, would you recommend it? Did, did you enjoy your time? And he had no good things to say. So I applied. I got in. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm like yourself. I enjoy reading his work and and all the guys that i mean it's it's invaluable for someone like myself that's across here in the uk that have got all sorts of um and i don't know what we would have done without the internet <laughs> these days you know we've um between yourself between pat between mike and jeff and you know all the guys doug and everyone that does stuff um whether it's the guys at the you know sources and the beat reporter guys or whatever if it's anyone like yourself that's obviously on a journey to be, to I guess to aspire to be one of them one day and and then you know you come to myself that's more fan-based but wants to talk about them and having you guys on Twitter and everything else is invaluable I mean I guess we've you could sit and watch the network or we get ESPN across here and but it wouldn't be the same without it's the internet has just opened up a, a whole, yeah, <laughs> literally right. the whole world of prospects. Yeah, it? I feel like once once I discovered Twitter and everything that you could find on Twitter, I was like, wow, this is this is great. I love it here. And then, you know, I think all of us can agree. You get a little deep into Twitter and you're like, all right, this isn't so great. But the, uh, the good things that it, it helps, you know, it helps not just reporters, but fans kind of interact with each other and put out their work. You know, they're their opinions and their beliefs and if they have breaking news, you know, stuff like that. It's a good place to get all that stuff and kind of make, I guess, Patriots nation, Patriots fans, reporters, people who cover the team kind of bring us all together, make it more of a community. And mm. you know, that that's been great. Like you said, the internet uh, it's that. And then the websites that everybody writes for comment sections, all that stuff, you know, it, as much as it drives people apart at times, it brings people together and it gives them an opportunity to interact. Yeah, it's it's a strange one, isn't it? Like, how have you found? I'm guessing overall you would get quite a a positive reaction and positive response to your threads and your tweets and things in general. But have you found much of a a reaction that's been quite negative and you know toxic as a lot as a word that would get thrown about with Twitter? How how have you found it generally? Uh, people have been great generally. Um, you know, when I started at Pat's Pulpit less than a year ago, I think it's been been about 10 and a half months I've been doing stuff with them. I had 150 followers right around there. And I've climbed up, I think I'm over a 1000 now. Um, and I've, I've, I've got people that I, I interact with daily, you know, they interact with my stuff, and they're positive, and they, they enjoy the work that I'm doing. And they give me positive feedback, which is awesome. But there's always people who um, you'll, you'll tweet about a player that they don't necessarily like, and then they'll let you hear it. And it's um, I don't think everybody has the filter that most people have. So you get people without the filter and who'll say outlandish things, but it comes with the territory, I guess, of um, wanting to interact online. But I, I think it's been mostly positive. I tweeted out probably a couple of weeks ago, but I wrote an article about Trey McKitty. Uh, we've been doing draft profiles over at patspulpit.com um, just on a ton of different prospects, not necessarily guys who should, could, or will end up in New England, but the top prospects guys that we think can be good in the NFL. Um, I wrote something about him. And then the last two paragraphs basically said he's not fit anymore. They signed John U. Smith and Hunter Henry um, doesn't really fit on the roster. I think he'll be good, but he won't be good in New England. because He's not going to play there. And 
the first eight comments were all, this is stupid. There's no point in this article. <laughs> He's not going to end up in New England. So I posted the, the last two paragraphs on Twitter, followed by the comment section and just said, hey, everybody, make sure you read it before you comment because then you look kind of foolish. So uh, you, I've gotten that a couple times and everybody's gotten it. Um, and then you, you, everybody's... I think everybody said something stupid on the internet, not necessarily horrible or anything like that, but like probably didn't need to be said. So I, I, th I feel like a lot of us have dealt with it, but um, for the most part, I said about 95% of the interactions I have are positive and helpful. Yeah. It's, it's a strange one. I mean, I, I'm, I've built up a personal small following. I've built up a following for the podcast and things. And, you know, it's the same as you. Generally, it's positive and you get the odd person that wants to have a dig or a go or whatever. But I've I found it quite a decent place to be. And as you were mentioning earlier on, it brings us all together. It brings us a, to be part of a, a community, if you will. And it's, yeah, I don't really see the opposite side of it, but maybe it's because I just filter <laughs> the crap out yeah. if you will <laughs> you know um but i'm sure the more followers you get the more people want to get at you and say negative stuff stupid stuff and i just don't understand it personally like why yeah why waste what 90 seconds two minutes of your day just typing nonsense of like hey man that is totally shit and crap and whatever like it's right. your opinion that's what it is you know nobody there doesn't seem to be this filter of well, I think this and that's it and that's, you know, I'll respect your opinion, but this is mine and let's have a discussion. It's like, no, 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 you're wrong. You're wrong. This is like total bullshit. Right. This is, this is not right. This is what my opinion is. And this is my opinion. And that's what's right. And like, honestly, it just drives me nuts sometimes, but yeah, as you say, yeah, you're just uh, gonna... yeah burned our uh, managing editor, Pat's pulpit when I first got my first negative comment, I, I put, po I posted it in our group chat um, and said, Hey, my first one. And he said, wear it as a badge of honor. Cause if you don't have a negative <laughs> one, then it means, it means people aren't reading. It's better to get a reaction than no reaction at all. So, um, you know, I, you got to kind of take it with a grain of salt. Nothing, nothing anybody says on the internet is serious. I don't think. And I, I was going to mention earlier, uh, like Adam Schefter, his replies are horrible. <laughs> just the worst things that you could imagine. So if a guy like that's getting bad stuff, then the rest of us are going to get it too. You know, us who don't have millions of followers. <laughs> that's very true. And yeah, as you say, like, I don't, I, I think a lot of the, the people that, especially when you're the likes of Adam or um, Tom Pelissero or whoever it might be, I think a lot of people just do it to see if they can then get likes or follows or whatever sort of thing. And it's like, right. man, what? Like, why bother? It's, it's so stupid. But, you know, it, it is what it is at the end of the day. But as I said uh, at the top, you know, I think you're a, a good follower and I would urge anyone to, to follow you and um, especially over the next two or three weeks as we, we lead up to the end of the month with the draft coming up and that. And, um, that's what I want to jump onto next. Uh, on your Twitter profile, speaking of Twitter, it says you're a draft weirdo. <laughs> Is that did you write that and put that in the bio section because of all the you know as you were saying earlier, but it's fun to do and it's just you know you're kind of taking the Mickey out yourself. And if you can't do that, then who else is going to do it? Sort of thing. Yeah. When I so when I was a follower of people and I uh, I didn't put any content out there. I just kind of received it. I used to call the people who do the draft draft weirdos because they're it's, it's such a small part of what the NFL is really in the grand scheme of things, the draft, but it's, it's the biggest season of the year. It's like the Super Bowl and then the draft, you know, the two biggest events in the NFL. And it really kind of, if you really look into it, doesn't make sense. Like, why is this so such a big deal? But it is. And, I used to always make fun of, you know, not, not on Twitter or yelling at anybody, but I used to always be like these draft weirdos. I don't get it. I don't know how they could spend all this time. And then I started doing it. I was like, wow, this is great. I love this. I've become <laughs> a draft weirdo, you know? And uh, it's just on the outside looking in, you look at somebody who covers the NFL and, 
or or just I, I wouldn't say I cover it. I just I follow and I um, I create content based around it, and ninety percent of it has been the draft, and it's it's just funny to me that the draft could have such a profound influence on the rest of the NFL season and the people. I mean, there are people who get paid good money to just talk about the draft and do nothing else. Yeah. So, um, like you said a little bit earlier, it's just you know taking a jab at myself before anybody else does, just so they know who I am. I'm I'm a draft weirdo. <laughs> and these people that you speak of, I guess the the Mike Mayocks of the world and and those types, they that's why they end up in GM jobs and stuff, I guess, because they take such a an interest in it that come this. I mean, it's basically in effect, what the NFL's based on. If we didn't have these rookies coming through year on year, um, whether they're drafted in the first round, sixth round, undrafted, then we have no league, we have no sport, we have n- well, we would have other stuff to talk about, but that would just be dull and boring, wouldn't it? <laughs> right, right. And um, so, if I'm going to swap it and like, you decide where we start off with this. Um, where would you do? You want to go through some of the the prospects that you you think might stick out in terms of a Patriots point of view, and as you were mentioning, um, guys that you, you think we should all look out for in general. How how would you want to? I'll let you attack this. All right. Um, I mean, I guess I could I could throw out some of my favorites, and we can kind of branch off from there, or we could. Um, you know, we could talk quarterbacks, talk needs. Um, let's talk needs first, and then we'll we'll talk about some of my favorite guys after that. Cool. Um, that. I mean, I think everybody knows the biggest need is quarterback. Uh, as much of a Cam Newton truther as I am, I think he was placed in a horrible situation last year and wasn't really given the opportunity to succeed. He's not the long-term quarterback. Um, I don't think he was ever brought here to be the long-term quarterback. He's, he's the bridge guy. Um, so quarterback's the number one need, and this is such a great draft to need a quarterback. It's just unfortunate that the events of the past week have made it almost impossible for you to get one of the top five quarterbacks. Mm. Um, probably right now, I have them ranked Lawrence, uh, Trevor Lawrence, two Justin Fields, three Zach Wilson, four Trey Lance, five Mac Jones. Um, I think all five have the opportunity to be successful in new England for different reasons. Uh, Trevor Lawrence isn't going to end up there. Um, I think we can all agree. Zach Wilson's not going to end up there because he's pretty set at the, at the number two spot with New York. And then San Francisco traded to three and you've seen reports that they traded there for Mac Jones to make sure that they could get him because he's a guy who fits their offense. Um, I think that's a smoke screen. I think they would be idiotic not to take Justin Fields because he's the second best quarterback in the draft. Um, but in terms of a Patriots fit, in terms of the guys that they could they could conceivably roster, you know, through the draft, I think Fields is the most intriguing guy just because we've had all this stuff come out the past few days, you know, the Dan Orlovskis of the world spewing kind of nonsense and getting himself in trouble a little bit. Um, just in terms of uh, perpetuating stereotypes, you know, uh, surrounding black quarterbacks and stuff like that. I think – he's without a doubt the most accurate quarterback in the draft fields. Um, and a lot of the stuff that you heard about him as negatives aren't really negatives. He's had the highest completion percentage of anybody, any quarterback in the draft on their second, third, fourth, fifth read, you know, anything past their first read. He, um, he was the most accurate. He is tough as nails, you know, broke a couple of ribs in the national playoff semifinal. Um, came back in through a touchdown on the first playback. So um, I think far and away, he's the second best quarterback in the draft. And then there's a guy like Trey Lance, who I think fits kind of what the Patriots did last year best. If, if they continue with the offense that they ran last year, uh, a smash mouth kind of running, running offense where they take a couple of shots a game and kind of play the intermediate route in the passing game. Um, I think he fits that well. He's, he's the closest thing to Cam Newton that you can get in the draft. Um, I don't think he's, I think he's pretty set into the, in between five and 10 in terms of, you know, um, Caroline is there at eight, Denver can jump them. I think they're at nine. And then there are a number of other teams that can really jump in there because they have the capital to go get them. 
And then there's Mac Jones, who I'm not personally a huge fan of just because the, the factors surrounding his success were a lot of what was around him and not what he is as a quarterback. Um, and moving from the Alabama offense to the Patriots offense of last season, you know, if you take free agency out of it, that's a step down. The Alabama offense was better than the Patriots offense last year, without a doubt, in terms of talent. Um, so I think he'd be taking a step down and entering into a whole new system that he didn't have three years to learn and master. So um, I think if they do make a move at quarterback in the draft, it's probably going to be in the later rounds um, just because it's going to be so hard to trade up. But the only conceivable player that I can imagine them getting is Justin Fields, just because like I said, that San Francisco smoke screen may not be a smoke screen. And um, Trey Lance, seems pretty set into that Carolina Denver spot. So um, those are, those are the three guys that they could probably get if they trade up. If they don't, there are guys like Kellen Mond in the back half of the first round who I played high school football against fun fact, uh, <laughs> tore us up, beat us by 60 points. Um, he's, he's a really, really solid quarterback. He's, he's got all the intangibles. He's just struggled with consistency. He, uh, he could go out there and beat Alabama one week and then come back and lose to Missouri the next week. It was just, you have no idea what you're going to get from him on a week in week out basis. And then there's Jamie Newman, who is one of those guys who just feels like he's going to get drafted by the Patriots. He reminds me a lot of Jacoby Brissett, not in terms of how they play, but the spot surrounding them, you know, the Patriots kind of need an insurance quarterback right now. Like they did in 16 heading into the Brady suspension. So they drafted Jacoby Brissett, like, Hey, maybe you can be the third stringer and, Maybe we'll keep you around for a while. Um, similar situation with him. His problems are he hasn't played a football game in about 18 months. And by the time training camp rolls around, it'll be two years. Um, another inconsistent guy in terms of accuracy. He's not a great runner, uh, physical runner, but not a great runner, um, but not really a pocket quarterback. And then there are a ton of other guys. I'll just name them off. We won't get all the way into them. But Davis Mills, who's a big guy out of Stanford, reminds me of Joe Flacco a little bit. So stay away from him. Um, <laughs> Shane Bouchel, who's an air raid guy, he'll throw the ball 65 times a game, no problem. I think that's kind of the system that he needs to end up in. He's not a he's not a, a pro-style quarterback. And then the last guy I mentioned is Sam Ellinger, who played four years at Texas, came in as a true freshman and, and kind of lit it up a little bit. But I don't really think he's quite ready to play NFL quarterback. I think he needs two, three years of seasoning before he should ever see the field at quarterback. But maybe in the meantime, you can kind of run him out there as maybe a bit of a super back tight end slash fullback situation. Um, but he's interesting just in the fact that he has a ton of experience. He's a leader and he led a big time program to a lot of wins. So that's the quarterback's position from my eyes. It's, it's a lot of information to take in, but um, it's the most important thing that they have to focus on. Yeah, as you say, it's a lot of information taken, but it's a lot of important information at the same time. And it's, I, I'm kind of, I've gone back and forth on, on Cam since before Christmas, really. I was really going off him. And then uh, we had uh, Tanya Ray Fox on here. And as you'll know yourself, um, She's probably the biggest truther out there for, for Cam, and she's receiving a whole lot of shit for it at the moment. Um, but her, you know, I'm probably quite <laughs> one of those in some aspects that, you know, I've got my own mind, but sometimes if someone sits down in front of me, like she did, and gives me this, right, with, if you give him an uh, off-season, you give him OTAs, you give him training camp, you let him get into a system, you let Josh McDaniels develop a playbook for him, you go oh yeah, all of this makes total sense. But then, you know, you just get someone that has whatever it is against him and um, he's done, his arm's done, he can't throw, whatever, and that's it's what it is. And this is a totally like crap pickup, even for a second-year option as a bridge guy kind of idea. Yeah, I like, I like to think of myself as somebody who's right down the middle on Cam Newton. Um, I do believe that if you put him you know, in all of the things that you said, uh, a training camp into the right kind of offense, give him time to develop gel with some receivers, give him some weapons. I think things will definitely be better for him. But also, in all honesty, 
not everything goes right in an NFL season. I, I would argue that nothing goes right for these teams. Everything that they think is going to happen doesn't happen. That's just life in the NFL. So um, it's nice to say that, oh, all of these things are going to go back to normal and maybe he'll go out there and be the Cam Newton of old. But that's just not the reality of what the NFL is. So you have to temper expectations on both sides. You know, you can't go out there and assume that he's going to be horrible like um, some could argue he was last year. Can't go out there and assume that he's going to be so much better because you don't know the surrounding factors um, that will that will happen during the season, let's say. So um, I'd like to say I'm right in the middle. I think he deserves an opportunity to compete for the starting job. And I think right now, as things stand, even with a draft rookie, no matter who it is, he should be the starter week one. And then you kind of work from there. I think that's the best course of action with Cam Newton. Mm. And uh, I mean, it makes total sense to me that that is more than likely the route they go down is um, even if, as you say, even if they draft someone and, you know, sometime after Halloween, maybe before Thanksgiving, um, that person, whoever it may be, is thrown into the into the fire to go, well, you know, this is what we're going with and Cam, if we need you, almost like uh, uh, Miami last year, you know, they took a decision, th- they threw into a, and then whenever things started to go south, they knew they had Fitz was sitting on the sideline, right, there you go, get back in, get us the win that we need to, uh, you know, keep us ticking over. And But now they've, in a similar position, we'll probably end up in next year, is that they've taken that safety blanket away from Tua this year and going, right, see you later, you, you can go to Washington or wherever you want. And, you know, this is our guy now and we're going to live and die by this sword. And I guess we're going to end up there in a year's time, more than likely. Yeah, I, um, I, I think they need to draft a quarterback. Whether or not they can move up and draft one, which we all would like them to do, I think it's... That's that's where you get franchise quarterbacks as early. Not everybody can be Tom Brady. You got to kind of move up and, and draft your guy. Um, but whether or not they can move up or do, they're going to draft a quarterback mm. or they're going to sign one as an undrafted. I doubt that's the route they go, but who knows with Bill Belichick. Um, but they're going to draft a quarterback. They're not going to go into the, the season with Jake Dolagala's QB3 and, and Jared Stidham as QB2 again. As much as I like Jared Stidham. I think he's a good developmental guy. He's just he's not ready to to be a starter, and and you need somebody to push Cam. So I think they'll draft one. But um, with with what they did in free agency and stuff like that, a lot of people like to say there aren't any more needs. You know, they they filled all the needs. Now they just need a quarterback. I don't think that's necessarily true. I think you kind of got to build up the depth for the future because you got a lot of old guys in that building. It's one of the older teams in the NFL, and they're going to be. I don't want to say dying off, but retiring off soon and riding off into the sunset. So you you got to set yourself up for the future as well. Yeah, I think so. And, um, you know, as you say, they'll draft someone. But can you also, depending on how things go with contracts, uh, even now, Marcus Mariota is someone that's being touted as a potential um, trade possibly even on draft day itself, whether that's day one, two, three or whatever, um, if they can restructure a contract for, for him, do you think that might be a route that they go down? Yeah, so I think Mariota might have just uh, restructured his deal um, with Oakland. So it, it made it cheaper for Oakland on, on the front half. I think they might have gotten it down to a one-year deal. I'm not exactly sure the specifics, but... Um, it doesn't really matter in terms of the trade for Mariota. He gets to decide where he goes. He's got a no trade clause. So if the closer you get to training camp, the less likely he's going to want to get traded because then he's not giving himself a fair shot to earn a starting job. Um, In Las Vegas, he knows he's not going to be the starter week one. I think they're pretty well set with Derek Carr. Um, Who knows what happens during the season, but um if he does waive that no trade clause, it's going to be before or during the draft. I find it hard to believe that they trade for him just because it's going to cost you a two, three, or four, let's say in that range. You've got one second round pick, one third round pick, and two fourth round picks. 
I think with those picks, they're going to try to fill the gap between, I, I believe it's 46 and 96 that they have two picks. So that's my, if my math is correct, that's a 50 pick gap. That's a huge gap in the NFL draft in a, in a crucial spot. That's where you get talent is the second and third round. That's where guys either fall because they're not quite as good as the top guys, or they've jumped up because they've shown out during pro days and um, kind of shown that they've got all the tools or it's guys who have some issues that have dropped them out of the first round fall. But, you know, that's where your bread is buttered. That's where you find stars are in the second and third round. So they need to fill that gap. I don't think they can effectively fill that gap and make a trade for a quarterback at the same time. I don't think they can do both. Hmm. Yeah, that's fine. I, I don't know. Obviously, we won't know until the actual day comes, but we're sitting at 15 at the moment. Can you see them finding a way? If they're not going to, if they don't trade up and we get to the 15th pick, do you think they'll pick someone or is it more Belichickian if you like that they'll probably trade back and maybe try and pick up another second or third round pick that can then facilitate such, whether it's Mariota, whether it's someone else, do you think they might go down that route instead? Yeah, uh, throughout the draft process, I've I do not believe that they will pick somebody at number fifteen. They're either moving up or they're moving back. It's mm. it's not it's not like Bill Belichick to sit and I've described ten through twenty five of the first round a, a wasteland. It's it just it always is. It's you're not getting the top end guys, and you're kind of falling back in to that area where you're getting the, the talented guys who just aren't good enough to be in that top tier. It's it's the the worst place to be drafting, I would I would argue. So I don't think he, he would want to pick there just because moving back allows you to maximize that asset. And instead of taking one shot at a guy, you get to take two shots at one. Mm. Um, so I think it's more likely than not, if I had to bet right now what they would do on draft day, I think they move back out of the first round completely and pick up maybe two thirds or a second and a fifth something like that, you know, picking up two draft picks instead of just one. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that because, was it, two nights ago I actually sat and watched um, Draft Day and that, the Fonte Mac and he's like, what, I'm going to go at 15? Like, that basically reiterating just what you've said there is like, nobody wants to be a to picked up in the in the teens and the or the early twenties, and you know, obviously right. they lose a ton of money in that aspect as well. But you can, uh, they know themselves that they can fall into this sort of wasteland, as as you put it, and um, you either get one picked at the top, or you know, almost you want to be that second round, that second day pick. That's like, look at me, I I should have been first round. Um, day one pick, but you've picked me up second. I'll prove you wrong, sort of thing. Get that mentality going that way. Um, so we move on from quarterback. Um, do you want to stay on the offense, or would you like to swap it and do a defensive side of the ball? It's up to you. Yeah, I think so. I think the needs are on the offense. I think right now, as it's currently constructed, the defense can be top five in the NFL. I think the, the amount of talent that they have is ridiculous i don't know if you saw it today but for some reason everybody just started sharing kyler duggar kyle duggar highlights and was like wow this guy's pretty good and i was banging the drum on him last year i think he's going to be phenomenal i think he's kind of the future of the secondary uh i think he has a chance to take over that devin mccourty role as well as be a more versatile in the box kind of guy but um just to not gloss over the defense, but I think the defense right now is very good already. So where they should be kind of using their assets is on the offensive side of the ball. So I, I think you the, the more natural place to go after quarterback would probably be wide receiver cool. just because how they're set up for the future. Um, right now, I think they have two players set up under contract from 2022 if you don't count count Nikhil Harry um, on whatever the heck's going to go on with him whether he gets traded they pick up his option who knows they're not picking up the option but he's either going to get traded or released or whatever Um, I think Nelson Aguilar is essentially on a one-year deal he signed a two-year deal but there's an out after the first year Kendrick Bourne's on a three-year deal so he'll be here 
Jacoby Myers will be a restricted free agent after this season. He's an undrafted rookie, so that's a three-year restricted deal, I believe, is, is most un- undrafted free agent deals. Um, Edelman is heading into the last year of his deal. No one knows if he's going to play. Um, who am I missing? Gunnar Oshevsky, Matthew Slater, special teamers. And then Nikhil Harry, I think I think I covered pretty much all of them. So, like I said, pretty much all of those guys, except for Kendrick Bourne, we have no idea whether or not they're going to be on the roster next year. So I do believe that they need to start building up the talent right now behind the guys that they do have so they'll be ready by the time those guys leave, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes total sense. Um, I think... Even though the the guys we've picked up, and I was going to ask to get your take on it as well, as it seems quite um, like a lot of fans will will be quite underwhelmed with the likes of Aguilar and Bourne being picked up, especially so early in the in free agency. That, that you know, it's I know the deals are structured in a way that's not taking a big hit this year on the cap because you know the the TV deals kick in from next year and that sort of thing. But even then, like. If you, when you've got the likes of Juju and Kenny Galladay, and you know even the likes of um, Keelan Cole would probably or Corey Davis would be a more likely um, guys that people would celebrate, if you will, that they have ended up as Patriots. Then you go, oh, we've got Aguilar and Bourne. Yay, maybe. Like, what, right. Was it what, which side did you fall on with that one, and how do you see it playing um, out going forward? Initially, I was pretty indifferent about the signings because I thought, I think, I believe Aguilar came first. And we didn't know the 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 numbers on the deal. We just kind of knew that they signed Nelson Aguilar. And I was like, oh, he's a good deep threat to replace Bird. And now they're going to go sign one of the big guys, you know, one of the, like a Juju to play in the slot, something like that. And then they ended up signing Bourne. Um, and, and the more that I've looked into it in terms of, how the contracts are structured and the rules that they can fit in the offense. I think they made those decisions for a reason because they're setting up to kind of not kill themselves with these contracts, but also get more production than they've gotten in past seasons. And I think that's all reliant on what they did at tight end and the offense that they're going to be running. I don't think they're going to have a ton of receivers on the field. Um, I'd, I'd be willing to bet that, at least half of their snaps come in either two running back or two tight end formations. So like 21 personnel, stuff like that. Um, just because you don't give Johnny Smith $50 million. You don't give Hunter Henry 36 or whatever it was to not have them be on the field at the same time. You, you want those guys on the field at the same time. So getting back to wide receiver, those guys are going to both be on the field. You're going to have either Harris or Michelle on the field, maybe even with the fullback. So that leaves spots for one or two receivers. Um, Myers is pretty well set into the role that he plays, which is kind of a Z slot hybrid where he can play in the slot, that kind of Edelman role that he's occupied and then Welker before him and all those guys. And he can also move outside, play outside a little bit against zone coverage, stuff like that. So you've got one spot set and then now you can use Bourne and Aguilar as more chess pieces. Um, if you're taking a deep shot, if you want to play a vertical game or if you need to play a vertical game, Aguilar's out there because he's a, He's a speed threat on the outside. He can get open against one-on-one coverage. And then if you're playing more of a intermediate to short passing game role or even a red zone role, that's where Bourne's going to come in. He's a, um, not, not a super physical receiver, but physical enough to where he can get open in the red zone against man coverage on like a safety. Um, and he's fast enough to get away from a safety and a, and a linebacker. So he's good in, in the red zone and in short intermediate areas. So, um, I would say in 2021, this upcoming season, they're going to use their receivers as chess pieces. They're going to place them into specific spots and not necessarily play them every down like they did last year with Myers, Bird, and Harry. Because last year, they just had those three guys out there the whole time and kind of made them run the offense. I think now they're going to run the offense based on the personnel instead of running the personnel into the offense. Yeah, and that makes more sense in terms of how Belichick likes to to coach and run his teams, isn't it? It's always been the case of, you know, we'd run this, we need this person to fit into the X slot or the Y slot or whatever it might be. And this is, you know, we're not then building an offense 
just because these are the players we have and that's what we're going to run. We have a scheme, we have a system and we will pick and choose what we need. And I was just thinking as you were um, talking there as well, um, Keegan, that I remember I pick it up on podcast form because generally on a Sunday afternoon that when it's on um, I'm busy doing stuff with family or whatever but I've started listening to the Sunday football show with um, Bob and Ted and Ted was saying that the other week maybe two three weeks ago that um, when the, the Patriots played the Chargers last year it was like Hunter Henry will be a Patriot because it, he made a specific point of going over to Hunter giving him a hug and you know all that sort of thing he was like he was recruiting him that's exactly what he was doing. It was like, and we got Johnny Smith, and I was like, ah, right, okay. I think Ted's got a point, but you know, what? And then all of a sudden, we're like, what? Oh, because you, if you'd think if you'd had one, you weren't getting the other, and then all of a sudden, we've got both of them. You're like, ah, right, okay. And it's almost as though he's went in the back of his head and dug it out and went, I remember Aguilar had quite a good game against us in a Super Bowl. Ah, let's go and get right. him because he's available. <laughs> Right. Yeah. That, I mean, that's always been kind of his roster building technique who plays well against him. Who can he not figure out? Because if he can't figure out how to cover or minimize the impact of a player, then no one else is going to know how to figure it out. And, Mm. and he trusts Josh enough to put them into a Josh McDaniels to put them into a, a good situation, a situation to succeed. So I think it's, I think it's a smart way to build a roster. You know, if Bill Belichick can't stop you, no one can stop you. So let's put you on Bill Belichick's team and you you'll be great. I think that's something that the players have kind of realized like, Hey, I play pretty damn well against Bill Belichick, Josh McDaniels, you know, whoever the defensive coordinator is, whoever you want to call it, Steve Belichick or Gerard Mayo. I played well against them. So they're going to know how to use me correctly because they, they couldn't really figure out how to stop me, you know? And, and even guys that they can figure out to stop that they, they have good games against, they kind of, they found what works for those players specifically, and they're going to put them into those positions to succeed. So like I was saying earlier with the receivers and kind of plugging them into specific spots for them to succeed to the best of their abilities. Mm, yeah. And it's, it's funny. It's something I, uh, I probably go on about a bit too much for, for the liking of some of the listeners. Cause I know we, we, um, more than likely soccer is our first sport and um, I'm a Manchester United fan myself and I always kind of liken Bill Belichick to Sir Alex Ferguson when he used to be the the manager of uh, United and it was exactly what he used to do with the likes of Cristiano Ronaldo. He played against them and um, when Ronaldo was, I think he was 17 at the time when he played for Lisbon against them and then apparently this as the legend goes, he basically walked into the dressing room at full time and goes, we're going to sign you because you are awesome. And it's probably what, um, you know, that might have been what Belichick whispered to Henry. Going, right, I'm keeping an eye on you because your deal's up at the end of the year. And, you know, keep an eye on your phone. You might get a call from me. <laughs> right. You saw it. You saw it a couple of years ago when Odell Beckham Jr. said, come get me to, mm. to Tom Brady. He patted him on the butt, said, come get me. And they gave him a pair of cleats or something, you know? The, they know what they're doing in those those after the game kind of scrums. Yeah, and so with the receiver, you know who who sticks out for you in the draft um, this year, and who do you think they could get, or who would you like them to get? So, uh, me and Spags, a guy that you've talked to and or talked about, talked you know with. And Ryan Kieran from Pat's Pulpit have been doing live mock draft shows on Wednesdays, 6 p.m., quick plug. Um, we've been doing those, and every week I want to draft Amon Ross St. Brown to the Patriots. He's, he's a guy who's probably going to go in the 40 to 60 range. Um, but I think he's there isn't a receiver in the draft that fits what the Patriots do better than Amon Ross St. Brown. He's a bit of a shorter, stockier build. I think he's 5'11", about one – or five. 10 190 so kind of he's got the same build as Edelman not quite as shifty but he's got a little bit better straight line speed than Edelman does um and my whole idea behind drafting him would be give him a year to learn behind Edelman not just Edelman but Jacoby Myers who's played well in the slot and give him some seasoning let him play you know some special teams let him play in situational roles and then unleash him in year two just because He's a smaller guy who won't get 
beat on a jump ball. He'll outjump anybody, you know, any DB. He'll fight for the ball. He can play vertically, but he can play underneath as well, meaning he can run those shallow crossing routes across the field, catch the ball and make a move um, to pick up a few yards, get a first down. He reminds me a lot of Edelman, just a guy who fights when fights for the football, fights when he has the football. He'll do anything to get a first down or score. Um, but then he also has an added deep threat ability. He played a little bit on the outside at USC. So I've loved him. I think he's the perfect guy. If I had to pick anybody other than the top three in Smith, Jalen Waddle, and Jamar Chase, it would be him. And then there are other guys who kind of fit a more niche role who don't really fit what the Patriots do, but are so good that you would have to be excited about the pick. And that's Rashad Bateman and Terrace Marshall. They're both taller guys who play a Z slot X. They can do it all, kind of move inside and out, but they're taller, a little bit lankier. Um, Bateman's very good after the catch. Um, Terrace Marshall's more of a possession guy who'll get the ball, kind of get down a little bit, maybe run out of bounds. But um, both of them, they've got strong hands. They can catch the ball. They can run all nine routes. They can do kind of everything. Um, so those are the three that I would really, really kind of – in terms of receivers that you want to build an offense around or put into the offense that you've already built, those are the three guys. Um, and then the middle, like I said, the middle of the draft is full of a ton of talent. So really any of the guys that will fall in there. Um, but when you get to the back half of the draft, there are two guys that I really like. Jalen Darden, who's a tiny, I think he's 5'9", 160 pounds. He's very small, but he's fast and shifty. Um he went to the University of North Texas, which isn't a football school, but he set pretty much every NCAA or had the record in 2020 for every NCAA receiving, you know, mark, touchdowns, receptions, receiving yards. He can do it all. He's one of the guys where you kind of just put the ball on his hands and let him run and try to score a touchdown. Um, reminds me of a tiny version of Cordero Patterson, just a guy who Josh McDaniels can use him as a weapon, put him a bunch of different places, move him around a ton. And then Marquez Stevenson, who's just a sprinter. You put him on the outside, tell him to run straight and try to throw the ball to him. Um, I love that kind of stuff. Just the simple, you have one job, go out there and do it. And I think that's what Marquez Stevenson is going to be at the next level. Um, for that reason, he's probably going to end up in Philadelphia and be their like number two receiver and be great just because that's what they do. They just draft fast guys. Um, but I really like Marcus Stevenson as well. So the five names that I would really kind of be excited about if they drafted, be excited to cover them and, and watch them every week are Jalen Darden, Marquez Stevenson, Amon Ross St. Brown, Terrace Marshall, and Rashad Bateman. Yeah, the, what you're saying there, that, that's how I play Madden because I'm not very good at Madden. <laughs> is I just <laughs> look for the outside guy, give myself three seconds and then throw it over his head and go, oh, look, I just scored a 60-yarder. Awesome. And then I actually play someone who can play and then I just get pounded on it. Uh, okay, back to playing computer <laughs> on beginner mode then. Make myself feel good. <laughs> yeah, it's like I said, it's one of my favorite things to kind of watch because especially when they're at smaller programs, he went to Houston, Marquez Stevenson. So not, not a huge program. They play some kind of garbage schools early on in the year. And that's what they did. They, they put him as far out wide as possible, like basically on the sideline, told him to run straight. Quarterback took a five-step drop and just chucked it as far as he could. So it's very fun to watch. Mm, yeah, definitely. And where, where do you sit on uh, Rondell Moore? Is he someone you'd like to see at the Patriots or... So I'm, I'm an Ohio State fan, so I've been wronged by Rondale Moore in the past. His, his first big game in college was against Ohio State. Lit them up. It was a big upset. Um, so I've, I've been following him since his freshman year at Purdue. I think when he's healthy, he's phenomenal. I think he's, he's the third best receiver in the draft if he was healthy throughout his whole career. But he hasn't been healthy since his freshman year. His sophomore year, he missed pretty much the entire thing. And then his junior year, which was this past season, he was in and out of the lineup, um, not with COVID, but no one really knew if he opted out or opted in or whether or not he was hurt for some games or just didn't want to play. It was kind of a confusing situation. So uh, on the field, I love Rondale Moore. I think he's phenomenal. Um, I probably wouldn't touch him if I were the Patriots just because the risk factor is too big. And when you're the Patriots drafting wide receivers, any risk or red flags should immediately shut it down just because they're already not good at it. So let's not test 
test the waters, you know, let's try to keep it as safe as possible. Mm, yeah, definitely. And um, I wondered as well, like, if, so we've gone through, you know, we've gone through the top prospects and things like that, but if you were to pick out anyone, offense or defense, I'll leave it up to you, that if you wanted to say, well, not maybe the next Tom Brady as such, but maybe the, maybe the next Michael Onwenu or someone, you know, someone in that five, six, seventh round that you would, because that's the thing, that's the other thing that I love about guys like yourself is because and generally the headlines over here will be about Waddle, it'll be about Smith. You know, you watch um, GMFB in the morning or in the afternoon with us on the network and it's all these guys that are... Um, mentioned and then someone like Kyle Duggar comes out in the second round and you go really who the heck is this guy because we don't have that knowledge of uh, Div 2 schools or you pick up Michael Nguyen and you go oh well cool like Bill or uh, likes him then you know he, he must be right. decent well we'll wait and see how that pans out and then he turns out to be pretty much the, the biggest bargain of the century probably um, to date anyway is there anyone in that later rounds that you think is going to be um, perfect for the Patriots that you'd like to see them get? I'll give you a couple. I'll give you a guy who's probably going to go in the second round um, who I think should be a top 10 pick. Just I, I'm that high on him. And then I'll give you a, a late round guy. Um, Davion Nixon, who's going to go in that 40-50 range like I talked about with Amon Ross St. Brown, is the best defensive tackle in the draft by far. Um, he's a community college guy came out of community college went to Iowa for two years lit it up won the defensive player of the year in the big 10 um he's he's a defensive tackle he can play this is a little bit of maybe too much football talk but he can play one technique to five technique meaning he can play lined up right next to the center kind of with his left shoulder on the center's left shoulder a little bit shaded or he could line up as far outside as possible and just be kind of a pass rusher um he's that versatile He's strong against wrong, very strong against the pass. Um, not just like a high effort player, but a really athletic and a guy who can go out and start in the middle of the field and run all the way out to the sideline and make a tackle. I think he's the best defensive tackle in the, excuse me, in the draft by far. Um, I, I can't find anybody better than him. And then a guy who's going to, he's a, he's a late round guy. He might not get drafted is Avery Williams. Uh, special teams player out of Boise State. Um, he's not going to bring anything to the defense, and I doubt that the Patriots draft him just because they've got so much locked in at special teams already with Cody Davis and Matthew Slater and Justin Bethel. But he's a he won the Mountain West Special Teams Player of the Year twice. He has five career blocked punts. Um, he's a gunner on both coverage units, meaning he run down, runs down and makes tackles. He led the team in special teams tackles all four years in college, and he had nine combined return touchdowns in his college career. So basically, he plays every special teams unit, and he makes an impact in every possible way. Um, he, he's, he might become the first guy since Matthew Slater to be known as only a special teams player to get drafted just because he's that good, and he, he provides that much of an impact. Um, and I know that was a bit of a, a letdown, so I'll give you another one. I'll give you one more um, that's that's not a special team or a fullback or something like that. <laughs> let me let me look through. All right, so we'll go with I gotta find it. Cameron McGrone. He's a linebacker out of Michigan. He's he's a, like a middle to late round guy, kind of like on Wenu, fourth fifth round guy. Um, linebacker out of Michigan. He's young. He's a redshirt sophomore and came out. Um, and the best thing I like about him really is the fact that he went to Michigan and they didn't use him correctly. Cause those guys seem to always turn out in the NFL. Um, Chase Winovich, who was used as a, like four down defensive end who played every snap, who probably shouldn't have been doing that came out and he's been effective with the Patriots. And then Josh Uche, who they drafted last year. Um, he was a pass rush specialist and played with his hand in the dirt at Michigan and then came to new England and, in the time that he did see the field, he was a phenomenal outside linebacker type. Um, McGrone is a, a middle, middle of the defense kind of guy. I think he would be served best to play next to Hightower. Kind of don't give him as much responsibility and let him go out there and make plays. But he's he's like Micah Parsons, who's a top linebacker, light. You know, he's he's the 
second rate version of that guy. Um, brings all the same tools, all the same energy, plays the same game, just doesn't do it quite as well. And he's going to fall just because he's young. He didn't do a ton in college. Um, probably didn't test out of this world, but I think he's going to be super solid at the next level. And I wouldn't be surprised if the Patriots draft him in the middle of the middle of the draft. Well, I'm not going to argue with your knowledge. It's it's uh, uh, honestly like second to none, pretty much. And you know, there's as you you mentioned uh, about um, football talk. There's nothing like too much football talk. Um, I'm forever. And always will be probably a student of the game, if you will, and want to learn, you know, the terms and te- and terminologies and all that kind of thing. And you know, if um, if you wanted to use football terms and expand my knowledge on anyone that's listening, then that's fine by me, definitely. Um, last thing from me, Keegan, before I let you go, and this is a completely off the wall random one, but do you know much about the the Michigan football team in general? and the players um, so so i've been following ohio state who's their biggest rival one of the biggest rivalries in sports since i was like seven so i in turn follow michigan just so okay. i know what they're going up against so okay I, I would say yes i do follow right so the <laughs> it's sort of random but not because it's connected to me because the person i want to mention is actually from scotland he's from aberdeen where i live and stay and pretty much grew up is david Ajabo. Okay. Um, I just wondered if you knew of him and how he's, in your point of view, like how he's been, you know, going so far since he's because I think he's he's going in his junior year this year. So I just wondered if uh, I know this is completely by the by and off the wall, but I just wondered if you had any knowledge of him and how he's progressing because coming from here and there, like, um, you know, we always get thrown at us like Effie Obada and his journey from London and all the rest of it and J.H.I. is sadly he won a Super Bowl against us and uh, David could be the next one that comes along that's championed on through NFL UK and that that's the reason I'm asking but if if there's nothing that you're you know too much about then it's it's cool don't worry about it so I so I know he plays like a little bit of outside linebacker defensive end type like I I know of him and I've, I've seen him before. Um, I, I haven't seen a ton of him play. I don't know if he's played a ton at Michigan, but I would say this to make maybe the, the people across the pond feel a little bit better about him. Michigan doesn't know how to use their defensive players. They, they can't figure it out. They just kind of throw guys out there and hope for the best. <laughs> um, <they're, laughs> there's a reason that they should be a top 10 team every year and Every year they finish either ranked 25th or 24th or unranked. They're, the coaching at Michigan since Jim Harbaugh has gotten there has been horrible. So I'll say that. He, he hasn't been used correctly. I'll just I'll say it even though I don't know if that's true or not. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I'd be willing to bet that that's, that's true. But with guys like that, with guys at Michigan, usually it takes till their senior year to really get playing time. That's what happened to Josh Uche. Mm. Um, Winovich saw playing time as a junior, but, you know, not really. He should have been starting as a sophomore. Um, and I see, I think, here, let me look it up. I think he's a sophomore now, or he's a junior. Yeah. So heading into next year, I would I would imagine that he gets more playing time and, and you'll be seeing a lot more of him just mm-hmm. because that's the Michigan way of doing things for, for some reason. I don't know why they do it that way, but that's the way they do it. Yeah, it was, I mean... I... All the, for all intents and purposes, from what I know, he's doing well out there, and um, he was stuck over here because he was home between seasons and um, last summer, and then there became he seems to be well liked in the locker room because there was this big thing of uh, through the Michigan players of um, free Ojabo because they wanted to get him back over at the states, but because of like quarantining or whatever it might have been, and um, they just weren't getting him across and eventually he got across for um i think it was in time for their their training camp before the season started but it was he'd missed you know that sort of off-season program if you will because he was he was only meant to be be here see his family who stay you know 10 miles from me sort of thing and then get head back covid hit and it was like oh crap how do i get back to the states to go and continue my study sort of thing and i think as far as far as i'm aware he's you mentioned uche there he is sort of that 
type of player. He's you know he's a big guy, six five, two hundred fifty pounds. He could he he is sort of that edge rusher and sometimes used as a middle linebacker as well, as far as I know. And I'm hoping right. that um, he gets more playing time so I can get to see him a bit more. And hopefully, fingers crossed, he's, he makes it because we seem to have this track record of Michigan defensive players that um, that Bill likes. And hopefully in another couple of years' time, he's, he's possibly a Patriot. But that's just for personal um, yeah. sort of game. I mean, well. yeah, we, we all like watching guys that we – lived around you know so mm. i uh like i mentioned earlier i played against kellen mon in high school i played yeah. high school football in texas um and then there's another guy in the draft named caden stearns who i played against they're both very good and every time i see them i'm like wow i played against them and they're going to the nfl and i'm talking about them on twitter it's it's a crazy <laughs> world you know but it's it's fun seeing guys like that succeed i i really like that stuff yeah it definitely is um Especially because there's a big thing, mate. They've got the the NFL Training Academy now down um, just on the outskirts of London, and there's the International Player Pathway that we've obviously been um, privy to. We've got Jakob Johnson that's um, come on and doing a, a great job for us last year, and they've, they've picked up his option again this year. And um, but at the same time, you know, you want there is that you want to see that person now and again that gets picked up in a scholarship or. or international layer however it is that they they do it um with you guys and that he would you know make it through the traditional way if you will rather than getting a a helping hand sort of thing so i think i don't know if that's just my belief but it seems to come across as though that you know these guys that have come from english rugby and that are you know they're mid-20s late 20s and they're getting picked up and putting into these these teams at the Falcons or the Patriots or whatever it's kind of, there must be some guys out there who never make it, you know, college yeah. is probably their last hurrah sort of thing. They go, man, you know, if I had that leg up like that guy's got, I'd make it in the NFL. Yeah. You, you hear people say like, it's a bit of a novelty kind of like, Oh, look how cool this is. They're, they're never going to make the team, but we're giving them a shot. Um, but it's, it's nice seeing the success stories. Like, um, I don't know if you read the thing about Belichick a few weeks ago when they first, when Johnson made the the roster out of training camp last year, he said last year when we added him, I, I didn't want him on the team. I didn't, <laughs> I'd like, they told me I had to sign one and I didn't want to. Um, and he was the 91st guy on the roster and he worked his way onto it. So I, that stuff's awesome. I, I really like the, it's, it's a cool story. It's a fun story. Yeah, definitely. It sure is. And, um, I guess long may it continue in, in some aspects, but as I said, that to get someone coming through the, the traditional way of more like what JGI done in a way, although he pretty much became the, not a poster boy, if you will, but you know, he's that one and done almost really, isn't he? He's that typical 3.3 years as they talk about, he's gone in and gone out and the amount yeah. of running back needs that some of the teams needed, especially last season, he wasn't picked up then. You would like you'd probably think that's him gone from the NFL now. He's been out of it too long to to succeed at yeah. a team. Um but yeah, no, I just wondered about David because um since you've got a, a wealth of knowledge in in the college game and and um, you're sitting in front of me now, I thought I would ask. Yeah, ne- next year I'm sure we'll be talking about him in terms of the draft stuff, just because he's a junior and he'll be headed in, but there are guys all the time who don't do anything in college, but they're six five, two fifty, and NFL coaches love that, so they'll mm. they'll give them a shot no matter what, and kind of see what they can do with them. Well, here's hoping for uh, well, me watched him as a as a personal journey. He's a he's a Scottish guy, and he's you know it'd be great to have a Scottish guy make it in the NFL for sure. And um, so fingers crossed for him. But no, thanks very much for your your time, Keegan. It's been awesome, and um, I'd love to get you back on sometime. Maybe reassess the the picks that you've done, and um, after the draft's been made, and and see where you sort of you know the guys that you mentioned have been picked up where you thought, or they they just dropped off the face of the earth and became undrafted guys, or whatever it might be, if you want. But as well as that. Um, I'll give you the floor, you know, plug Pat's pulpit, your Twitter and everything in between. Yeah. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Keegan Stiefel. It's a little bit of a hard spell. Uh, it's K E A 
G-A-N-S-T-I-E-F-E-L. Um, I do draft breakdowns. Um, I tweet about random stuff. It's fun. You know, I, I tweet stupid things. I tweet smart things. Um, come along for the ride. It's just, it's just a college kid tweeting. Um, and then you could follow Pat's pulpit as well. P-A-T-S-P-U-L-P-I-T. It's who I work for. It's all of my pals. We do a ton of draft coverage, in-season coverage. We've got Bernd Buchmasser. He's, he's German. He's the best in the business, best managing editor of all the SB Nation websites. I'll say it here. Um, really tremendous stuff from all the guys that I work with, guys and gals. Um, yeah, you can find me there. We also, I am on a podcast from now until the draft. It comes out every Friday called Pat's Nation Pod. You can find it on Twitter. And every week we do live streams through Pat's Pulpit on Twitch, YouTube, and Twitter, the Pat's Pulpit Live Mock Draft Show. We invented it. Whoever is doing it after us stole the idea. Um, so shout out to Ryan Kieran, who birthed this idea and, and made it all possible. Um, every week, 6 p.m. on Wednesdays, you can find us. We do a full mock draft, one round, two round, or Patriot specific. So switch it up every week, and we have tons of fun. So you can find me there, and I really enjoyed being on. Well, thanks again, Keegan. The, the the Pat's pulpit juggernaut is steaming on, and you know the blue ticks there now for the verification. And you guys um, are all doing a great ton of work, um, especially as we come near and near the closer to the draft. And um, I urge everyone to go check out yourself. Go to Pat's pulpit, and then you'll find all the guys from there as well. Whether it's Pat, whether it's Burnt, where it's um, Ryan and um, the rest of you guys that you do an awesome job and it's not just all about you know the high flyers if you will the the mics and Jeffs of this world there there's you guys as well that are great followers but no thank you very much um, for taking the time out to do this it's uh, much appreciated and so that brings us to the end of another podcast for uh, for Pat's chat if you want to follow us you you can find us on Twitter at, Pat, at Pat's Chat UK for Instagram and Twitter. Myself, it's at Matt Inkster. We'll get Jake back on as soon as we can, but um, he's at Jake Paul Design in the meantime. And until next week, folks, when we catch you again for another episode of Pat's Chat, we'll speak to you soon.